0: Good morning everyone. Um, children, you're staying with us today and we're glad to have you uh, in the service with us as we open the scriptures and read together uh, the story of God's heart for us and uh, how we interact with him as well. We're again, um, in this series uh, misquoted, we are all over looking at the full complement of scripture. Uh, we're not just taking one passage and settling in, we are looking at overall from front to beginning and end to backwards and all of everything in between. What does God's word say about something in particular? And so uh, as we've handled uh, certain questions in the past couple weeks, uh, we've dealt with the idea that nobody likes to be misquoted, especially not God. I need to unmute my microphone. How about that? Um, and, uh, and so even God does not especially like to be misquoted. His word is absolute truth to us. It gives us life And hope and it gets right into the nitty-gritty of our heart and reveals things to us about ourselves we perhaps weren't even aware of ourselves. Um, So as we study God's word we want to make sure we quote it accurately and not allow culture to tell us what God says but allow God himself to tell us what he says. So we've looked at does God want you to be happy and we've looked at um, uh, it's been a long week. What did we study last week? Anybody? (laughs) There are many paths. That's right. We looked about the the thing the culture says. There are many paths to one God or many paths to many gods and your choice is yours. We learned how that's not true today. Uh, We're going to tackle another one. And it's this. God won't give you more than you can handle. Have you guys heard that one? (laughs) You've been through a tough time and someone comes up to you and puts their arm around your shoulder and says, hey, it's going to be okay because God won't give you more than you can handle. And you think God's a jerk. (laughs) If if no, really, I mean, if you're honest, and this is a true statement, then God must be a jerk because he is intentionally keeping stuff on you only to your breaking point. And that's what culture is telling you. If God won't give you more than you can handle, then he's going to give you everything up to your breaking point because it's just what he does. What's the answer to that? This is what culture leaves us with, a God who just likes to sit upstairs and dump stuff on us for some unknown reason. We want to talk about that this morning so that we understand this is not a true statement, um, and we want to figure out why. So um, let's go ahead and just start with the very first verse. Um, this, um, of all of the misquotes we've handled, this one is directly tied to a scripture verse. People are taking a scripture verse out of context, and it is the scripture 1 Corinthians 10.13, and it says this, No temptation has overtaken you except that is common to man. But God is faithful, and he won't let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with temptation, he will also provide a way of escape so that you can endure it. So that's 1 Corinthians 10, 13. And what it says is, God won't tempt you beyond your own ability to resist, right? So we look at that and we go, well, certainly God is not going to put anything in my life greater than I can resist. So if there is temptation, I can resist that because God wouldn't put anything in my life more than I can resist and that's a gross misunderstanding of this verse this verse solely has to do with being tempted and when it says beyond what you can bear beyond your ability he's not saying you on your own he's saying you i.e plus the holy spirit God won't have anything in your life which God himself cannot overcome through you But when we talk about this, God won't give you more than you can handle, people are not putting their arm around your shoulder when you're struggling with temptation. They are putting their arm around your shoulder when life has overwhelmed you, right? It's not that someone enters into your sorrow and suffering and says, this temptation will pass. God won't give you more than you can handle. They're saying, hey, when the rug has been pulled out from underneath you and death has been on your doorstep and you have lost your job and you don't have a home and all of the things that go on to overwhelm us, That's what people are talking about, not temptation. So they're taking a verse, misapplying it and taking it out of context and saying, hey, this is what God says. If your life stinks, at least it won't be more than you can handle. And so what we need to do is figure out what it really means. This is not what people are talking about. Sin is not what people are talking about here. Um, What we do need to know about sin, though, since we read the verse, we need to be very clear. God is a good and faithful God, okay? And he always provides a way out from temptation. So if you are struggling with something this morning, God is providing a way out from that for you. He is a God of freedom and a God of holiness, not a God of let's lay a trap for the people that I love, okay? He is a God of freedom and holiness, and he enables us to live in victory through his Holy Spirit. If you are struggling with something this morning, and it is a sin or a temptation that you are just embedded in, God wants to provide the way out for you, through the Holy Spirit, and that is how he will do it in no other ways. But in not regards to sin, in regards to the things that bring us to our knees because of their weight, um, death, loss, trials, uh, challenges that weigh us down, how do we handle that? Is God going to give us more than we can handle? Let's consider a few things together, and I've already hinted at this. God's not a jerk, okay? This is like the big picture, point number one. God is not a jerk. If we believe this statement, as culture tells it to us. Then we believe that God is a jerk, that he is cosmically dwelling on high from his throne in glory, pulling strings, keeping stuff upon us until we cry out, I can't bear it anymore. But the world doesn't offer us an answer for what then? God's not a jerk. He doesn't live life in heaven trying to see how much you can handle before you break down. He is a good father who loves you. He is not a jerk. Um, See, the problem is um, our hearts and minds really want to find someone to blame for the things that go wrong in our life. Something goes wrong and we just want to point the finger because it's not here, right? The finger never goes here. The finger always goes here and everywhere else but here. And it's in our nature. Back in the garden, when God, good father, gracious father, loving father, generous father, created all of the world that we know and called it good, and he created Adam and Eve, and they were very good, and they had great relationship with God, God, in his goodness, gave Adam and Eve free will. And in that free will, they had the freedom to choose to obey God and follow God and live in righteousness, or disobey God and not follow God and sin. And they chose sin. And what was the first thing they did when they were called on their sin? I did Serpent made me. Well, the woman made me. And their fingers went everywhere but to the person who sinned. When we um, say, God won't give us more than we can handle, and then we follow it up with, um, God did this to me pointing the finger at him, we're calling God a jerk. And we're not taking responsibility for the things that we have done in our own life. God is fully good and fully sovereign in our understanding. He is fully good and fully sovereign. And if we believe he gives us more than we can handle, then we believe that God intentionally causes the most horrific atrocities in our lives and our world. This statement, leads us to the theology that God causes all of the horrible things in our world. That could not be more far from the truth. Um, So if God is not a jerk, the question must be asked. And I hear it um, in conversation. But pastor, if God is good, like you say he is, and if he is sovereign meaning he has power over all things, like you say he is, and like the Bible says he is, that why did he let this happen to me? Why didn't he stop this from happening? Why is he allowing me to go through this? If he is good and loves me, if he is sovereign and has all of the power to intercede, why is this happening to me? And that's a big question we must wrestle with. On, on terms of deep theological doctoral level questions this is the topic that gets near the top why do good things happen to bad people why do bad things happen to good people these are the questions that we wrestle with and so the only answer culture has to offer is um god won't give you more than you can handle he may or may not be a jerk don't get on his bad side because it might not go well for you but scripture paints a completely different picture god is not a jerk um The problem is this. We live in a decaying world. Addie's children's Bible says that from the moment sin entered the world through Adam and Eve and their disobedience and the exercising of their free will, from the moment that sin entered the world, the world began to decay and to unravel. It was no longer that perfect world that God had created, but because sin entered the world, it began to decay. Kind of like if you have a knitted sweater and a loose thread and you just pull it. And slowly the thing begins to unravel. That's what sin has done to our world. When we tug on sin, it unravels things a little bit. Um, So God is good, and when he created the world, he gave us free will, the ability to choose. Follow him or not follow him. And Adam and Eve used their free will to not follow God. And because of that, the world is unraveling. They blamed each other, and the serpent... Um, And now in this world filled with a multitude of people exercising a multitude of free will. We live in a world filled with, if you can think of it, it has probably been done sinfully, right? Which is why in scripture when it says flee from sin, the idea is a junk drawer kind of idea. Anything that you can think of and the things that you haven't, don't do them if they're sinful. God covers all bases in Scripture. He says, just don't sin because free will tends to unravel your heart and your life. And because sinful people choose to do sinful things, it sets just kind of a chain of events in our life. Someone sins and it affects somebody else. You say something mean and it hurts somebody else. And we live in a world that is corporately rebelling against God and in decay. We cannot blame God for this decay. We must look at ourselves and go, I play a part in the decaying of the world because of my sin and the way that I have chosen to disobey God. I can't do this. God is not in heaven going, let me heap bad things upon you. Bad things sometimes happen to me because I choose to sin. Bad things sometimes happen to me because other people choose to sin. We live in a world that is decaying he created a good and perfect world but by choice we have decayed it Um, because god is not a jerk and we live in a decaying world you will experience what i like to call the mtych that more than you can handle okay that's a little abbreviation because i got tired of typing more than you can handle in my notes and on the screen okay (laughs) more than you can handle in this decaying world, you will experience more than you can handle in life. It's just, can I get an amen from anybody? Okay, right, so we're all here. More than you can experience, and Jesus said it himself, right? In this world, you will have troubles, right? Jesus was being really clear. You will have more than you can handle in this life. And these words from Jesus, these... um. Hey, uh, folks, from the words of Jesus to you, hey, you're going you're gonna to have troubles. Now, we can take that two ways. Okay? We can take that in the sense of doom and gloom and oh, no, and now I'm going to go cower under a rock because Jesus said I'm going to experience troubles and I'm going to withdraw from everything and protect myself from everybody so that I never experience troubles. Or we can take them as words of comfort. In this world, you will have trouble because God is good and he is sovereign. And he knows all things. And he knows the depth of the suffering we will endure because of our own choices and the choices of the people in this world. God is good in that he is working out a solution for the decay. Okay? He, he knows what's going to happen. He is working out a solution for the decaying world and the things that cause our knees to buckle under the weight. In the meantime, though, while he is working out this solution in our hearts and lives and for the world at, at large, um, you need to know you aren't alone. There are scads of biblical examples, like the greats, the big names in the Bible, that experience the N-T-Y-C-H lifestyle, more than you can handle. And they were not sheepish about saying, wave the white flag, I am done. I can't do this anymore. I have reached the end of my rope, and I just want to highlight a few of these for you because um, you need to know that even the greats struggled with this, okay? So first of all, Job. We sang a little bit about his story earlier today. Job chapter 1, right? He is wealthy and rich, and he's got a field of cattle and a field of camels and a field of sheep and children and servants, And literally, within the span of an hour, scripture tells us, a short period of time, a servant comes and says, all your camels are gone and only I am left. All your sheep are gone. Only I have been left to tell you all your uh, cows are gone and only I am left to tell you all your children are dead and only I have been left to tell you your entire life is upside down and everything you never knew and depended on is gone. He experienced more than any one of us. Has experienced. He went from being a multimillionaire to sitting in the ashes, rubbing his wounds with pottery shards. He experienced more than he could handle. Elijah, um, in uh, in the book of First Kings, Elijah, Elijah, the man with the power of God, right? He fled from someone who was pursuing him, Jezebel, and he found a cave, a little rock, and he sat down underneath it. And he asked God that he might die because his life was so bad. Take my life. I have curled up under this rock. It's no, I just can't do it anymore. I cannot do this life anymore. And the angel of the Lord came a second time and touched him because the angel's been trying to get him to go. Come on, man, let's go. Second time an angel of the Lord had to come to him and say, Arise, the journey is too great for you. You need to eat. You need something to help you. Let God help you through this journey because on your own, you're right. You might as well just curl up on a rock and die. You need God to help you through this. David in Psalm 69 said this, the floodwaters are above my head. I'm drowning. My voice is hoarse and gone because I've cried out for help so much. Jehoshaphat, maybe you don't read him too much, okay? But he's, uh, he's in 2 Chronicles. He says, listen, we are powerless absolutely powerless about the enemy that's about to overtake us we cannot do anything about it we are going to be overtaken by an enemy and in my version of the bible it said a horde of enemies you just kind of get this idea that they're slinking in the darkness coming in to take over jehoshaphat's life and kingdom but even jesus struggled with this the prophets tell us in isaiah jesus was despised and rejected by men a man of sorrows acquainted with grief as one that men hide their faces from because he's the guy that you look at and go, his life is so bad, I'm not even sure I want to make eye contact with him at this point because I don't know what I would say to this man at this point in his life. His life is so bad. He was despised. We don't think anything about him. He was a man of sorrows. That was Jesus. He was acquainted with this. He struggled with this. Things were too great for him to bear on his own. And then even Paul, the great... Paul, um, who in the New Testament was a great encouragement to so many people, um, he in his own life said this in 2 Cor- Corinthians, Corinthians 1, 8 and 9. Oh, we don't want you to be ignorant, brothers, speaking to the church, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. We were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. So here's Paul, who's unstoppable for the kingdom. And he's writing to the Corinthian church and he's saying, "Um, listen, it's so bad, it went so far beyond what we thought we could handle that we pretty much thought we were going to die because it was that bad. It was more than we could handle. We were at our wits end and there was nothing left of us to solve this. So if... Down through history, people have a more than you can handle kind of life. And if we are not exempt from more than you can handle as we live in a decaying world through sin of others and ourselves, um, how do we respond to our more than you can handle life? What should be the biblical response when it becomes more than we can handle? Praise God and do not sin. Praise God and do not sin. Um, Let me see if I can manage this with two hands. Um, In the story of Job, we know that he lost everything, right? His camels, his family, his house, his wealth, his everything. And it says says this. um, Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head And fell on the ground, and he worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will return. The Lord gave to me, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin, and he did not blame God. He didn't do what Adam and Eve did. Adam and Eve said, Life stinks. I'm going to blame somebody else. Job said, Job said, Life stinks. I don't have anywhere else to turn but God. I'm going to worship God. And I'm not going to blame God because God is good. And I have no reason because of his character ever to doubt the goodness of God. So I will worship him because right now he is the only thing I have. Suffering should lead us to worship. When we suffer... Our first response, naturally, is probably blame and anger and disgruntledness and lashing out. But our first response should be to drive us to the throne of God and worship him. Because even in the worst possible moments of our life, we have not lost God, who is all we need, right? We could lose everything, but if we have God, we have all that we need. Suffering should drive us to worship, but suffering is also not an excuse to sin, The phrase, hurt people, hurt people, is tossed around in culture. It's true. Hurt people, hurt people. When we are hurt, we want to lash out. We want other people to feel what we feel. If someone says something mean about us, by golly, I'm going to go behind their back and say something mean about them. This is the world that we live in. Hurt people, hurt people. But suffering is not an excuse to sin. We are still called to live a life that is holy and pleasing to God even in the depths of our more-than-you-can-handle moments. And we are not given an excuse to sin. Job leads us an example here. In all this, Job did not sin. And and, and make no mistake, if you read the book of Job, it's not my favorite book, I'll just be honest, okay? I will be hard-pressed one day to preach from this. In In my life, my goal is to preach through every book of the Bible. I will have to preach through Job at some point. I don't like this story. Because it's too real, okay? So those of you who like Job, good for you. Um, I I enjoy Lamentations more than the book of Job, if that tells you anything. And I really like Lamentations. Um, Job sat in the dirt with sores all over his body. His friends came up against him and said, just curse God and die, man. This is bad. Even his friends weren't helpful. But in all of this, and with all of the opposition, when everybody had abandoned him, and everybody was giving him poor advice, Job did not sin. He wrestled with God. He talked to God. He prayed to God. He yelled at God. He asked God some hard questions, but God's a big boy, and he can take those questions and those wrestlings, and God challenged him to see things the way God sees things. He says, where were you, Job, when I made the mountains? And Job was like, oh, okay, (laughs) okay. You're bigger than I am. You're gooder than I am. You're sovereigner than I am, right? Job did not sin. And we read about Paul, the second portion of his story, 2 Corinthians 8, which I just read to you. For we do not want you to become ignorant, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. We were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death But it continues, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. He delivered us from a deadly peril, and he will continue to deliver us. On him we have set our hope, that he will deliver us again. Paul was first to admit, hey, life, really difficult. Terrible situation. Brink of death. Bad things are happening. More than we can handle. We cannot escape this. And then he follows it up with, we set our hope on God because he brought Jesus back from the dead. He can certainly handle this situation. We will set our eyes and our hope and our focus on him if we cannot save ourselves from the penalty of sin, which is death. But Jesus, the one who saves us from our sins, can certainly deliver us from our troubles, right? The greatest thing we will ever encounter is the sin gap which separates us from God, if Jesus himself could bridge that sin gap for us, then surely whatever we experience in life can be bridged as well through Jesus. He who has been to hell and back again is powerful enough to walk with you through your own hell. I'm going to say that one more time. He who has been to hell and back again is powerful enough to walk with you through your own hell. Because sometimes that's where we feel we are walking. Here's some practical nuggets here. When things get tough, praise God and don't sin. Beyond that, you need to know three things. You do not need to pretend you are okay. You do not need to pretend it is all okay. The place that you should fall apart is right here in the presence of God and God people. If things are not okay, you have complete and utter permission to tell us things are not are okay. We want to like, wrap our arms around with you and not tell you God won't give you more than you can handle. We want to tell you God will be with you and help you handle this. You also don't need to do it alone, right? Because we've all been through stuff, and maybe we've been through some of the same stuff, and maybe while you are going through stuff, someone who has been through this stuff with God and back again can come to you and help you get through your stuff as the tangible presence of God in your life. You don't need to pretend you are okay, and you don't need to go at it alone, and you don't need to be on a time frame to be better. There is no clock that says it will take you this many days to get through this kind of experience. Everybody processes things differently with God And life. So do not let culture or family or friends or anybody else say, Aren't you over that yet? Shouldn't you be through this already? Haven't you handled that? Let God work in you in His timing for His glory and your good. You do not need to go at it alone. You do not need to pretend you are okay. And you do not need to be on a time frame to be better. Your more than you can handle life is an opportunity for God's grace. This is the hard truth, folks. I'm not up here to try and sugarcoat anything about your life and the difficulties that you have. I'm not here to say God will snap his fingers and make it better. I am here to tell you that in your more than you can handle life situations, it is an opportunity for God's grace to do something absolutely stinking amazing. Okay, Something that might not otherwise be done unless you are in the depths of a more than you can handle moment. In the midst of the sin that you have done and the sin that has been done to you, God is good and sovereign and working for redemption. Your weak, poor, scared, lonely, pitiful, um, failed, sorrow-laden, burdened, broken, sin-stained, overwhelmed life is the exact place where God's grace is designed to be experienced in unparalleled and explosive ways. That is the seabed for God's grace to do a miracle that you wouldn't otherwise experience. That is the place that you can rely on God in a way you've never relied on it before. 2 Corinthians 12:9 says this. He said to me, "My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your strength, in your ability. In your, I can do this myself, pull myself up by my bootstraps. I don't need anybody else, and I don't need God because I don't like him because he's a jerk. No. God's grace is perfected in our weakness. It is when we are weak that God's grace is made manifest in ways that we cannot experience when we are relying on ourselves. Therefore, he continues I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness and insults and hardships and persecutions and calamities. Because when I am weakest, I am strongest with God. Not on his own strength, but with the Lord. Romans 5, 6 says this. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. So get this. While we are actively helping the world decay with our sin and the embracing of the world's ways, God said, they are so weak, they don't even know what they are doing. I will go down and I will put flesh on and I will walk with them and I will teach them there is a better way and then I will die in their place on the cross for their sins and God will put all of the wrath of sin on me and I will go down to hell and go underneath the... I think it was the general superintendent that talked about this this past week. I will go underneath all of the depravity of humankind, deeper than it has ever or will ever reach, and I will then explode up out of that, destroying the death grip that is on humanity and paving the way for captives to be led free, and so there can be hope because of Christ. He died for us. We were ungodly, and he died for us to make us holy again. And this is where grace abounds. And where grace abounds, so does glory. When we, in our more than we can handle moments, or seasons, or lifetimes, okay, when we can come to grips with the idea that God is good and sovereign and will meet us where we are and heal us and help us through these things, then we can understand that he is the God of all comfort who comforts us in our affliction. That's our grace. So that we can comfort others in theirs, and that's his glory. Sometimes we go through junk. It's not God who does it. It's just the world that we live in. But when we allow God to enter into our junk and help us with that, then we can go to someone else who struggled, and we can say, let me tell you how God helped me with this, is helping me with this, continually helps me with this, has removed this from me completely, and he can do the same for you, and I will walk with you, As you walk through this yourself with the Lord. Every circumstance is redeemable. Every situation is redeemable. Everything you endure can become a testimony of God's goodness and his grace and his sovereignty for you and for others. So I'm going to close with this question. Do you have a more than you can handle lot? This is what you are to do. You are to endure, 2 Timothy says. Endure suffering. We will have troubles. You are to endure them as if they are something you can get through. Because with God you can. You are to endure suffering. You are to entrust your soul to a faithful God, is what 1 Peter tells us. Entrust your soul to a faithful God. He who is faithful to complete the work he began in you. So you will endure suffering while you trust your soul to God. And here's the kicker in Revelation. You are to be faithful even to death. Okay? You are to be faithful even to death. Sometimes, and this is what this passage might mean for some of you, sometimes your suffering, your more than you can handle, will not end. You will carry that with you until the day you die. There are some burdens that just seem never to leave. But God has promised that if you endure and you entrust your soul to him, he will bring you through to completion. And that suffering and that sorrow will produce in you a Christ-likeness for his glory and your good and the good of the people around you that is unparalleled. Your more than you can handle life is no match for God's abundant and saving grace. It's no match. God will enable you to bear up under the weight of the more than you can handle life through Jesus and only through Jesus. It is... We're we're us-centric, right? Like, my life, my world, everything revolves around me. At our root, that's how we are. And so when we have troubles, it's the end of the world. Nothing is more struggle than this. I can't see beyond this. But the biblical perspective is that our sorrows are temporary. In the light of the cross and eternity, the things that we experience are a temporary blip on the calendar of eternity. That is not to downplay the emotions and the struggles we have, but it is to put it in perspective for us that there is a great big picture of a great big kingdom where there are no sorrows anymore. And our time in sorrow is a blip compared to the time we will spend in eternity with Christ. And John Piper, a well-known preacher, says this. Every millisecond of your misery in the path of obedience, i.e. praising God and not sinning. Every millisecond of your misery in the path of obedience produces a peculiar glory for God in your life it's not going to be easy in this life as a christian or just as an individual but it can be good with god and that is how we are called to live our life when we encounter trials of various kinds consider it a joy my brothers because god is good and sovereign and has a great plan for us the good and sovereign king jesus is working out for all people in his eternal kingdom this beautiful picture of no sorrows, but we don't have to wait. I'm going to close with this idea. You can know now and experience now, today, in the midst of your more-than-you-can-handle life, the hope and the joy and the grace and the glory of God to help you endure through the trials. You don't have to wait till heaven. You can have that now. And so as we close in prayer and enter into a time of communion what I would ask is that you would lay yourself open before God and allow him to speak into your more than you can handle life so that you can begin to trust and rely and experience joy where you thought it wasn't. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, your word tells us so many things about trials. In fact, your life on earth was one big trial, culminating in a trial in which you were counted guilty for things you did not do, but it was your sovereign will to crush Jesus for the well-being of our souls, Father. And because he endured so much, we can endure this with him. Father, would you speak to our hearts in these moments as we might not even be able to express the depth of our sorrow to you or the depth of our grief or confusion or struggles or whatever it is. Would you... Lord, just accept an invitation into our hearts to come in and do what needs to be done. And sometimes that's just going to be sitting down as Lord of our life. Take the throne, remove us from it so that we can learn to trust you in the more than you can handle moments and seasons. We give you permission, Lord, as a body of believers to enter into our lives and hearts and work out what you need to work out for your glory and for our good and the good of those around us. That we might not consider ourselves people in a world that is decaying, but consider ourselves stopping over in this world on the way to something greater, which we can have a taste of now. We give you all the glory for the things that you are doing in our life. And as we partake of the elements of communion this morning, May you restore in us a joy for your kingdom and your glory. And may you give us the feet to follow after you, regardless of what is in front of us. And we pray these things in your sovereign and good name. Amen. If I could have the ushers come forward at this time.